You're listening to the expository preaching ministry of Kootenai Community Church, located in Kootenai, Idaho. We pray that Christ is exalted and your spirit is blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information about Kootenai Church, please visit us online at kootenaichurch.org. I'm going to do a quick review of chapter 9, mainly because, just an overview of some of the highlights, because we went through the entire chapter last time, and it covered a lot of ground. So I just want to point out some of the highlights of what has happened thus far. Chapter 9 begins with the lineage of Saul, who was a Benjamite, the first portion of the chapter begins with a man by the name of Shish. Now, it looks like it's going to be pronounced Kish, but in the Hebrew, it's pronounced Shish. He had some livestock, some donkeys that ran off. So he sent his son Saul to go after these donkeys, and he also sent a servant along with him. In verses 11 and 12 of chapter 9, we read this. As they went up to the slope of the city, they found young women going out to draw water and said to them, Is the seer here? They answered and said, He is. See, he's ahead of you. Hurry now, for he has come into the city today. For the people have a sacrifice on the high place today. Then when Samuel saw Saul, the Lord said to him, Behold the man whom I spoke to you. This one shall rule over my people. Then the following events, Samuel meets Saul. He invites him to his home for a meal. He gives them the choice, select cut of meat that was set aside for the priest to offer. He gives this to Samuel. He sits him at the head of the table with his servant and the other, along with the other 30 guests that he had. They had their meal and following that, Samuel said something to Saul, which was perplexing. He says, I am the seer, go up for me to the high place, for you shall eat with me today. In the morning I will let you go and tell you all that is on your mind. As for your donkeys, which were lost three days ago, do not set your mind on them, for they have been found. And for whom is all desirable in Israel? Is it not for you? and for your father's household, that what what Saul said was spoken to by Samuel, he said those words to Samuel. Samuel, at that point, demonstrated a little bit of humility. And so Saul replies this way, Am I not a Benjamite of the smallest of the tribes of Israel? And my family, the least of all the families of the tribe of Benjamin, why then do you speak to me in this way? So Saul was 
perhaps showing some humility, but then he says in regards to that statement by Samuel, and for whom is all that is desirable in Israel, he took that to mean that while he was a Benjamite from a wealthy family, yet amongst all the other Benjamites who had wealthy families, they were the least. So he responds in this way, Am I not a Benjamite of the smallest of the tribes of Israel, and my family the least of all the families of the tribes of Benjamin? Why then do you speak to me in this way? Least of all the families in the tribe of Benjamin. So he identifies the tribe of Benjamin as one of the smallest tribes of Israel. And his family was well off. They had livestock, and for the most part, Saul was assigned to take care of that livestock. So for him, he was thinking, well, we may be well off, but we couldn't afford to do anything for buy anything in Israel. And yet Samuel was referring to the position that he was going to hold in Israel. He would be the first king over Israel. Now, I remind you back in chapter 9 as well, when God informed Samuel of what he was going to do and appoint Saul, he was going to appoint him a prince over Israel. And why did he say it that way? Anyone? Why would the Lord tell his servant, prophet Samuel, I will appoint him prince over Israel rather than king over Israel. Earl? Jesus is the king, was the king over Israel. So there was a theocratic rule. The Lord directed, provided, protected them from all their calamities, all their enemies, and yet they rejected him. Why? They wanted to serve their idols. They didn't want to follow God's law or honor God with their lives. <clears throat> Samuel then brings Saul and his servant into the hall, and they set him at the front of the head of the table. And then Samuel instructs Saul and his servant so they might, he tells uh, Saul, send your servant ahead. This is after the meal, after they stayed overnight, and Samuel is walking Saul back. So he speaks to Saul, and he says, send your her, uh, servant ahead. I want to speak to you. He wanted to speak to him in private. He didn't want anyone else there. So he directed the servant to go ahead of him. So then that ends some uh summarizes chapter 9. As we enter chapter 10, let me read the text. I'll read the first 16 verses, and then if we go from there, I'll continue. Verse 1 of chapter 10. Then Samuel took the flask of oil, poured it on his head, kissed him, and said, Has not the Lord anointed you ruler over his inheritance. 
when you go for me today, then you will find two men close to Rachel's tomb in the territory of Benjamin at Zelzah. And they will say to you, the donkeys which you went to look for have been found. Now behold, your father has ceased to be concerned about the donkeys and is anxious for you, saying, what shall I do about my son? Then you will go on further from there, and you will come as far as the oak at Tabar. And there, three men going up to God at Bethel will meet you, one carrying three goats, another carrying three loaves of bread, and another carrying a jug of wine. And they will greet you and give you two loaves of bread, which you will accept from them, from their hand. Afterward, you will come to the hill of God where the Philistine garrison is, and it shall be as soon as you have come <clears throat> there to the city that you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place with harp, tambourine, flute, and lyre before them. And they will be prophesying. Then the Spirit of the Lord will come upon you mightily, and you shall prophesy with them and be changed into another man. It shall be, when these signs come to you, do for yourself what the occasion requires, for God is with you. And you shall go down before me to Gilgal, and behold, I will come down to you to offer burnt offerings and sacrifice peace offerings. You will wait seven days until I come to you and show you what you should do. Then it happened when he turned his back to leave, Samuel, God changed his heart, and all those signs came about on that day. When they came to the hill, there, behold, a group of prophets met him, and the Spirit of God came upon him mightily, <clears throat> so that he prophesied among them. It came about when all who knew him previously saw that he had prophesied now with the prophets that the people said to one another, What has happened to the son of Shish? Is Saul among the prophets? A man there said, Now who is their father? Therefore, it became a proverb. Is Saul among the prophets? When he had finished prophesying, he came to the high place. Now Saul's uncle said to him and his servant, Where did you go? And he asked, <coughs> and he said, to look for the donkeys when we saw that we could not <clears throat> be found, we went to Samuel. Saul's uncle said, please tell me what Samuel said to you. So Saul said to his uncle, he told us plainly that the donkeys had been found, but he did not tell him about the matter of the king kingdom, which Samuel had mentioned. So as we begin this portion, the first thing that Samuel does is anoint Saul. He begins by taking a flask of oil, which is in the Hebrew, it actually says a vial of oil, and poured it on Saul's head. This practice was initiated back in the book of Exodus, chapter 29, verse 7. It says this, then you shall take 
the anointing oil and pour it on his head and anoint him. Now, in that period, that practice was done with the priest. They were anointed and consecrated and sent out. This consecration process was to be carried out on all the priests. Throughout the scriptures, the office of king often appears as the most sacred. And it is the king, not the priest, who is especially called Jehovah's anointed. We see in chapter 12, verse 3, David says this, Here I am, bear witness against me before the Lord and his anointed. He was speaking at that time. He was uh, running from Saul, and he had a chance to take Saul's life, but he didn't do it because he would not harm God's anointed. In chapter 12, verse 5, he says this, He said to them, The Lord is witness against you, and his anointed is witness this day that you have found nothing in my hand. And he said, He is witness. Then again in chapter 16, verse 6, this is David speaking, When they entered, he looked at Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed him is before him. This reference in 12.3, Samuel, at this point, this was speaking of Samuel, he was defending his integrity before all of Israel and the king, his anointed. And it's referring to Saul because the king of Israel represented the authority and power of God. Now we'll find out with these very first orders that he gives Saul that the prophet works directly and gives direction to the king by instructions given from the Lord himself to the prophet. So Saul is going to be directed by Samuel. Continuing on chapter 1 and chapter 10 and verse 1, after Saul had poured the oil on Saul's head, Samuel had poured Saul oil on his head. He kissed him. This was uh, to signify both homage to Saul and to give him the symbol and token of his allegiance. Then Samuel said, Has not the Lord anointed you a ruler over his inheritance? His inheritance refers to, <clears throat> is used in reference to Jehovah's tro- chosen nation, Israel. In verse 2, it says, When you go for me today, you will find two men close to Rachel's tomb in the territory of Benjamin at Zelza. And they will say to you, The donkeys which you went to look for have been found. Now behold, your father has ceased to be concerned about the donkeys and is anxious for you, saying, What shall I do about my son? Samuel had already anointed Saul as ruler over Israel. Perhaps at this point, Saul was not only confused, but apprehensive. After Saul did not, he didn't consider himself worthy to be set apart or anointed by the man of God to judge the people who judge the people Israel now to become their prince. 
Saul was just a man from the tribe of Benjamin, from a family that was well-off and most prominent. From this point on, the king became known as the Lord's anointed. We find this in chapter 24, verse 6, and we find it in verse 10 of chapter 24, chapter 26, 9, 11, and 23. So this term, the Lord's anointed, is referring to the king. This uh, familiar Hebrew term is derived from the same verb, which is massage in the Hebrew, which means anoint. David would also be known as the Lord's anointed. Ultimately, Jesus, the Messiah, came from David's lineage. Samuel anointed Saul to be leader over the Lord's inheritance, Israel. Samuel tells Saul four signs that he will have along the way, which would confirm that God had indeed chosen him king over Israel. First, the message of two men, verse 2. When you go for me today, then you'll find two men close to Rachel's tomb in the territory of Benjamin at Zelza. Now, Zelza was located near Bethlehem. The whole geography of Saul's wanderings is very obscure, even from some of the uh, conservative history scholars that have done research on all the locations of the geography of the Old Testament. In Wilson's book, Lands of the Bible, places Zelza to the west of Bethlehem in the neighborhood of the tomb of Rachel, even though that is very obscured today. There's no mention of Zelza. Zelza would be on the border of Benjamin, and they might have reasons for Saul and his companion not taking the most direct route to Gibeah. The news would be given to Saul that the donkeys for which you went to look for were found. Now behold, your father has ceased to be concerned about the donkeys and is anxious for you, saying, what shall I do about my son? He didn't really care now. He had the donkeys. His main concern, his father, Shish, was concerned about Saul. He had been gone for uh, numerous days at this point. So his only concern would be for his son. Third, the procession, verses 5 and 6. Afterward, you will come to the hill of God where the Philistine garrison is, which is in Gibeah. And it shall be as soon as you have come there to the city that you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place with harp, tambourine, flute, and the lyre before them. And they will be prophesying. The Spirit of the Lord will come upon you mightily, and you shall prophesy with them and be changed into another man. This was key. He was giving him precise prophecy of what was going to happen when he left. And when he was changed, God had changed him. His Holy Spirit came upon Saul, and he was a changed man. (laughs) 
When you return to Gibeah, he would meet a procession of prophets carrying various instruments. They would be prophesying. The Gibeah was also called the hill of God where the Philistine garrison is. Gibeah means a rounded hill, while Ramah means height. The Philistine garrison was likely in Benjamin, about five miles north of Jerusalem. The Philistines may have had an outpost in that area. Samuel had established a school for prophets in which they were schooled in the ministry and they were to carry out all the prophecy that they offer the duties of a prophet. The Hebrew scholars record that Samuel set up these schools and these schools, their chief subject of their studies was focused on the law and its interpretation. And they were set up in other localities. So Samuel had set up schools to train the the young prophets. They would study the law so that they could interpret the law for the people. And they also played instruments. So they were taught how to play instruments. And so they would be able to sacrifice and sing before the Lord. In the Old Testament, God's people would not be indwelt by the Holy Spirit, but God's Holy Spirit would come upon those who would prophesy for him. So he would do so. And we find in Psalm 51, the penitent Psalm of David, David cries out to the Lord in repentance, but then he says this in verse 11 of Psalm 51. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. In the New Testament, we are indwelt by God's Holy Spirit. That's a permanent indwelling. In the Old Testament, God's Spirit would come upon the individuals who he would use to prophesy his word or carry out a specific ministry for him. So he could remove the Holy Spirit from them. But here we see that Samuel is completely transformed. Think about it. Here's a man who was basically a very good uh, farm individual. He was skilled in husbandry. He took care of the animals. He fed them, cared for them, and was responsible for that area of service for his father on his father's farm. But he wasn't skilled in the word of God. He didn't have training in the law. Now he's transformed and he is going to be trained in the law. That was one of the stipulations given in regards to those that would be king or rulers over Israel. In Deuteronomy 4, uh, I think it's 17, 14. In verse 7 and 8, it shall be when these signs come to you, do for yourself what the occasion requires. For God is with you, and you shall go down before me to Gilgal. And behold, I will come down to you to offer burnt offerings and sacrifice peace offerings. You shall wait there seven days until I come to you, 
and show you what you shall do. Now, here is the first time we see the relationship that the prophet has with the king. He gave him all the direction of what was going to be going, what he was going to face, what he was going to do. And then he instructed him to wait there seven days for him. So he's the one that directed the king. Samuel told Saul after the signs were fulfilled, he could do whatever the occasion required since God was with him. Saul would be able to determine what he should do. Then Samuel directed Saul to proceed him to Gilgal and wait for him there seven days. So there's his first directive from the prophet. So we might ask, well, why Gilgal? But we remember back in chapter 9, that is where Samuel called Israel to repentance because they had worshipped idols, they had violated God's law, and he called them to repentance. And then they won the battle over the Philistines at that time. That took place in Gilgal. So there was actual repentance over the nation of Israel because Saul rebuked them publicly and called them to repent. They offered sacrifices to the Lord, and they won the battle against the Philistines at that time. In verse 9, the original Hebrew of this text is actually quite remarkable. It reads this way in verse 9. When he turned his shoulder to go from Samuel, God also turned for him another heart. God gave Samuel a changed heart completely. He was a different man. They wouldn't even recognize him, as we'll see in the next few verses. When they came to the hill there, behold, a group of prophets met him, and the Spirit of God came upon him mightily, so that he prophesied among them. Verse 11, it came about when all who knew him previously that he prophesied with the prophets, that the people said to one another, What has happened to the son of Shish? Is Saul among the prophets? This sign in verse 10 was the third sign and the only one that Samuel described in detail because there was a great sensation at Gibeah at Saul's home. When they came to the hill there, in the original Hebrew reads, when they came to Gibeah, his home, from the place where they had been in the company of Samuel. That was in the original reading of the Hebrew. There God gave Saul a new heart, and the Spirit of God came upon him, and he prophesied among the group of prophets there. Verse 11, it came about when all who knew him previously saw that he prophesied with the prophets, the people of Gibeah, who had known Saul for many years, saw him prophesying there. They were not understanding how he could do this. This man, whom they had known for many years as the son of Shish, who was a well-to-do farmer, they were baffled and asked, what happened to the son of Shish? Is Saul among the prophets? 
Now, by asking that question, this says something. From this question, two things are evident. First, that the schools founded by Samuel to train young prophets were held in high esteem by the Israelites. In King David's courts, all the posts that were held were held by prophets. The schools that were established by Samuel's were great educational institutions. The second that Saul had not... The second is that Saul had not shared in that education, which raises the prophets in the class above the other people amongst the Israelites. Saul's previous life was altogether different from those that were disciples of the prophets. Verse 12. A man there said, Now who is their father? Therefore it became a proverb. Is Saul among the prophets? Since Saul had not trained in the school of prophets that was established by Samuel, then Saul's prophesying was not the result of training, but came to him by a divine influence. God himself enabled Saul to prophesy. So this question uh, presupposes that perhaps one would have the prophetic spirit by virtue of their birth. So they thought because, well, he was from the family of Shish, perhaps they inherit somehow the spirit of prophecy or the ability to prophesy. This would explain why those that knew him asked this question, what has happened to the son of Shish? Is Saul among the prophets? the son of a well-to-do farmer, a Benjamite trained in the skill of husbandry, a man who took care of his father's livestock and his duties, were his former skills now able to prophesy amongst Israel's prophets. Saul had caused those who had known him to be in a query. They didn't understand what had happened. They didn't understand what happened when God comes upon him with his Holy Spirit. They saw it lived out empirically. He prophesied with the trained prophets of God, but he was equipped by the Holy Spirit that had come upon him. God himself gave him that anointing. Verses 13 through 16. When he had finished prophesying, he came to a high place. Now Saul's uncle said to him and his servant, Where did you go? And he said, To look for the donkeys. When we saw that we could not be found, we went to Samuel. Saul's uncle then uncle said, Please tell me what Samuel said to you. So Saul said to his uncle, He told us plainly that the donkeys had been found, but he did not tell him about the matter of the kingdom which Samuel had mentioned. When Saul finished prophesying, he came to the high place, and his uncle asked him and his attendant where they had been. So Saul told them they hadn't found the donkeys, and they went to Samuel and had learned that the donkeys had been found. But he did not relate the words which had been spoken to him by Samuel concerning the monarchy. 
Saul's uncle, according to chapters 14, verses 50, uh, 51 and 52, would have been the man Abner. We'll find out about that later on. So it seems a bit curious that Saul's uncle, rather than his father, wanted to know what Saul's conversation was with Samuel. Commenters concluded that perhaps Saul's father, Shish, would have not been concerned or interested in the conversation that Saul had with Samuel because he would have been relieved now that his son had returned. That's what his main concern was at this point. However, Saul's uncle Abner was evidently interested in what Samuel had told Saul. Saul was quite different than he was before he left. That was evident to all. This notable change in Abner's nephew caused him to be curious as to what transpired during Saul's meeting with the prophet Samuel. Now, Josephus makes this observation on this portion of the text. It was prudent of Saul not to disclose what had transpired during that time. Saul had spent, that he had spent with Samuel, and that he had anointed, been anointed prince over Israel. Saul may have been waiting upon Jehovah to disclose this anointing. Josephus, commenting on this text, states that Saul may have been cautious about what he disclosed to his uncle, concerned possibly that Abner may have tried to take advantage of his nephew's position as prince over Israel. That would make sense. If he had wrong motives, then he wanted to know what exactly Samuel said to him, because obviously he was a changed man now prophesying with the prophets of Israel. But he didn't tell him. He could have had poor motives. Verses 17 through 19. Then Samuel called the people together to the Lord at Mizpah and said to the sons of Israel, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I brought you from Egypt, and I delivered you from the power of all the kingdoms that were oppressing you. But you have today rejected your God, who delivers you from all your calamities and your distresses. Yet you have said, No, but set a king over us. Now, therefore, present yourselves before the Lord by tribes and by your clans. Mizpah, of course, was the place in chapter 7 where they had a public calling out of Israel by Samuel. And then they had a revival. That was in chapter 7, verses uh, 5 through 6. And... Chapter 7, 5 and 6 reads this. Then Samuel said, Gather all Israel to Mizpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. They gathered to Mizpah, and he drew water and poured it out before the Lord and fasted on that day and said, We have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the sons of Israel at Mizpah. Now, I explained back in chapter 7 that this pouring out of the water by Samuel was a sign of repentance. The water was precious to their lives. And he took clean 
fresh water and poured it out as a sacrifice before the Lord. And then publicly acknowledge their sin before them. Now back in chapter 10, verse 17, after Samuel had secretly anointed Saul by the command of God, he must make provision for public recognition of the man of God who he had chosen on the part of his people to rule over them. So he called the people of Israel to gather now once again at Mizpah and first gave them a public rebuke. He reminds the Israelites once again that Jehovah had brought them out brought Israel up from Egypt and delivered them from the hand of the Egyptians and from the power of all the kingdoms that were oppressing them. As a result, the man to appoint a king over them, like all other nations, was granted by the Lord. So going back, when they sent the elders to Samuel, demanding that they now have a king like all other nations, Then what happened? Samuel warned them of what would take place if a king was to rule over them. They would no longer have their sons and daughters. They no longer had their property be used on their own behalf, but everything would be under the command and use of the king at his will. He could take any of their livestock. He could take his their sons as his servants and the, their daughters as perfumers and some of them for their concubines. They had complete control and that would be their punishment. They rejected Jehovah, the king of Israel, and chose a king like all other nations. As we continue in 1 Samuel and then 2 Samuel, if I live that long, then we will find that they will pay greatly for this demand because of the punishment that will be rendered unto the Israelites. Israel had rejected their God and who had delivered them from all their calamities. God had protected his people yet they continue to reject God and his law. They didn't want anything to do with his law. They didn't want to obey it. They didn't want to read it. And they didn't want to obey God. As we go forth, we're not going to go much further because of time constraints. But in verse 20 and 22, it reads, Thus Samuel brought all the tribes of Israel's near, and the tribe of Benjamin was taken by Lot. Then he brought the tribe of Benjamin nearby, its families, and the Matrite family was taken. And Saul, the son of Shish, was taken. But then <clears throat> when they looked for him, he could not be found. Therefore they inquired further of the Lord. Has the man come here yet? So the Lord said, Behold, he is hiding in the baggage. He's right over there. 
When they gathered at Mizpah, when he called all the Israelites at Mizpah, they brought all their belongings and they had all their baggage, stacked their tents, whatever they had with them was all stacked up. Where was Saul? He was hiding behind the luggage. Here he is. He had been anointed personally by Samuel. Now Samuel is going to anoint him publicly before all Israel, and he's hiding. What reason? Maybe he still humbly thought that he could not take this great position, and it could have been fearful, which would have been an awesome thing to think about, being king and ruler over Israel, all of Israel, all the tribes, all 12 tribes. Now he was the one chosen by Samuel, God's prophet. So I have to ask at this point, what is it that Christians look for? Do they look to God for all their needs? Do they look to a president? Are they, we're in a year of election now, so there's much talk amongst God's people about who's going to be elected. If this individual is elected, we'll be able to have a reprieve for another four years, perhaps. But if these others, this other man's elected, this nation will no longer be a constitutional nation. So there is great concern, and we should vote according to whom we would think would best suit for this office. But that's not what we should look for. We should look to God in his sovereign hand because he says something in Proverbs that is key that we should always remember. And I'm going to take you to that. It's in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 33. The lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. So we know that we serve a sovereign God who is sovereign over everything. Should we be responsible citizens? We should be model citizens. We have the freedom to vote. We should do so. But we should also recognize that we are first God's servants. That is first and foremost. He has granted us his Holy Spirit. He has given us his word. We have the ability with this for everything in life and godliness. So yes, we should be model citizens in this country. We should be law abiders unless it goes against God's word. But we should always be submissive submissive to authority. These are commands given to the Christians. So as we look at this whole process, Samuel was approached by uh the elders of Israel, that's the state that they were in of sin, to come and demand that he now appoint a king. After the warning was given, they still said, but we shall have a king like other nations. Now they will. And it will begin to change their lives. And all those areas that of warning that God gave Samuel to warn the people of Israel were given. They heard it, and yet 
Their response was, no, but we will have a king like other nations. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting KootenyChurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.